Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello and welcome to the Red Men TV. I am very excited to be joined today by Jamie Carragher, a true Liverpool legend. Jamie, thanks very much for coming in once again, mate. Um, going to be a little bit of a, a different show for us today. We're going to talk, obviously, a little bit about this season in general. Jamie, we're going to talk about the European Cup final that's coming up, a few of your experiences from those European Cup finals that you've been a part of and stuff. So to get into it, I think, what an incredible season it's been for Liverpool this year. I mean, have you enjoyed it, watching and analysing it from your role this year? Yeah, I've loved it. I think uh, at the start of the season, I don't think there was uh, a massive belief that Liverpool would win the league, really, at the start. I think it was a case of, can we challenge for the title? Maybe not have to go to the last day to qualify for the, the Champions League like we, we had done in the first two seasons, full seasons under Klopp. And... I think speaking to the manager since, I don't think they really felt he could go and win the league this year. I think after five or six games, it was, ooh, we made a good start. This team looks like it's it's moved on. It's recovered from the Champions League final. Let's, let's see where it goes type of thing. And probably even then didn't envisage that they would get 97 points, really. But uh, ultimately, you know, you look at it now and you think, it, in some ways, Disappointment because you think 97 points, how do you not win the league? But what City are doing at this moment is unprecedented. I don't think it will last forever. I think it is the Pep Guardiola effect. I don't think it's necessarily Manchester City. I do think he's a special manager. We've also got one. And I think while he's there, that will be the points total. I think as soon as Guardiola goes, the points total will go back to being late 80s, early 90s, really. And I think we're well capable of getting that type of points total year in, year out. I'm not quite sure we get 97 again next season because I think that is, uh, is an unbelievable total from Liverpool, even though it wasn't enough. It's mad, isn't it? I mean, we've had so many highlights over the season, you know, just off the top of my head. I think Arigi against Everton's obviously won. Um, Tottenham Hotspur, a late winner there, of course, and of Barcelona. But what was, the, what was the true highlight for you? I think, I can't think of anything else than what you've said there, really. I mean, the Barcelona game is, is the greatest night in... in Liverpool's history at Anfield for me, being the supporter. At Anfield, think, yes. There's another one that you can think of that's better away from home, maybe. Yeah, but I think I think at Anfield that that's the one. I think no doubt about that. I said that straight away. I think for me in my role, uh, when when you're commentating on Liverpool, is or, or any game really a last minute goal is like that's what you sort of that's what you're in commentary for, cold commentary that that big moment, and it felt like Liverpool just had so many. Really, you know, late goals, and you know, you think of the Tottenham one, the Everton one was just 
will always be the best one because it was it was, it was a derby game and how freak the goal wasn't and everyone had resigned themselves to a draw really I think that's what made it so so bigger uh, to get the win the late one I was commentating on at uh, Newcastle so they're the, the moments really uh, this season uh, those late goals always signs of a great team but that that again is a little worry for me and that you think of next season how many times we, we sort of scored late goals is a great belief in the team but it's, it's not easy to do that again the next season it's you know sometimes you need a little bit of luck belief uh, you know just that will to win that extra little percent to go that little bit further but as I said it was it was an un- unbelievable season really and it's just you know again the, the job that Jürgen Klopp has done is just instrumental I think one of the things obviously you've been doing Monday Night Football now for, for so long and you know you're so comfortable and, and, and good at that role in pretty much the best TV programme that's football related going you're obviously now analysing Liverpool from a different standpoint and a different viewpoint and you'll probably get camera angles that we don't see that even make it onto Monday Night Football. What is it that you've learned about this Liverpool side and how have they changed from 4 and why why do you think they did that type of stuff? Well, I think what, what I always feel with Jurgen Klopp, I think he's very underestimated as a tactician, how he sets up his ideas for games, because we always pigeonhole managers and Benitez, for instance, he's a tactical guy. Uh, Alex Ferguson's the motivator, or you know, Jürgen Klopp's the motivator. And I think these real top managers that are package, and as I said, we, we shouldn't pigeonhole them. And I think sometimes I've forgotten how, how clever Jürgen Klopp is, how he sets his teams up. I mean, when he first came, I didn't think he was capable of making this team Hard to beat. Hmm. I thought so. You know this heavy metal football, energy, motivation, getting the players fighting. But could he really organise a team? Could he go somewhere and and put in that real solid performance, really, and come away? So he's proven that. I think people people always talk about the signing of the goalkeeper and Van Dijk, and they are massive signings to make a difference, uh, really. But I think it's a lot more than that. Uh, I don't think a manager. I, I don't see the top managers now. Say the top two are Klopp and Guardiola in the in the in the Premier League, maybe in, in in the world. I don't see them just spending big money as as they do, and then just saying that's it, my team's done. I think the work they do in day in day out on that training pitch to get those small details right, how good Liverpool look uh, defensively, is not just about individuals. That's about you know the manager, the organisation uh, of the team. I mean the big thing is and. I've asked him this before, Jürgen Klopp, why he's always been that 4-3-3 man. He wasn't necessarily that at Borussia Dortmund. I've always thought, is there something to do with the Premier League? Does he feel he needs that sort of man right in front of his his back four? Maybe because teams are more direct in the Premier League. But he never never really answered it. He he almost dismissed it as if it didn't really matter. But, you know, now and again he's changed. He's he's played the diamond, gone two up front. At times in games he's gone 4-4-2 late on in, in, in games at different stages so he, he can change things from the bench uh, really but I think just how how this team has, has evolved and changed and, and I also asked him when he first came in on Monday Night Football about this sort of all out attacking and goals and end-to-end games 3-3s, 4-3s all this type of stuff when he come in and he, he he just said something really simple he just said all my best players were attackers when I first come in. <laughs> so I wanted to play to their strengths, really. But as that's evolved, and as I said, he's got the defenders in he wants, the organisation uh, that he wants. In- Liverpool now look 
whether you're in the Champions League final or not, one of the best, probably four to six teams in Europe. And I think most of that's down to Jurgen Klopp. Yeah, I think, you know, for me, I mean, you know, he's played 4-3-3 for a long time with Liverpool now, since he's come in pretty much. Mm. Yet that 4-3-3 has changed almost every season, hasn't it? You know, we're seeing it nowadays where Trent and Robertson are getting so far up the pitch. And we saw a little bit of that last season, you know, the two eights, as it were, mm. dropping in and covering for these guys. But the way that those lads have improved as well, do you, as a manager and, uh, uh, you know, as someone who analyses football, is it just the case sometimes you look at what you've got and you go... Well, that, of course, Trent's great with the ball at his feet. I'm just going to make the most of that. How can I get him on the ball more? Mm. Or is it, well, this is how I've always wanted to play and we're going to evolve to this point? I mean, listen, I don't know, only, only Jürgen Klopp can tell you that, but I always think you play to the strengths of, of the players that you got. And he, he sort of answered that in when he first came in, play to the strengths of the attacking players. They were the best players within the squad. Even like little things that maybe you, you don't notice yourself, but you know, Henderson in this in this role here now, on that right side, I think in Chelsea spoke about Henderson actually going between the lines. So actually, Henderson playing more like there, and this player, I'm not sure if it was playing more like there. So, whereas I think sometimes we just think about oh, four, three, three, you go out and play. There's probably so much detail in different players' positions, really, within that. We always think both fullbacks do the same. You know, two, these two, number eight, if you like, just do the same thing up and down. But they've got different characteristics, different strengths. So, you probably do ask. Uh, different things really I think a big thing in football now is that it feels like it may be something we can probably look at on Monday Night Football but the number 10 seems to be dying a little bit really and it's more actually what Liverpool are doing with it's almost like three strikers mm. really Liverpool's front three play very narrow so it's almost when people say oh Liverpool play 4-3-3 or they've only got you know they've only got one up front it's not Liverpool play with three strikers really uh, they're, they're not wingers, you know. They very rarely go wider than the, the uh, you know, the penalty area. Uh, so maybe in some ways, when I'm me and other people are probably crying out for maybe a more creative midfield player at times, you think, well, I've got them three up there. They, they you know, more often than not when I was a kid, it'd be a four-four-two. You'd have two strikers, and your wide midfield players might get you eight to ten goals, and that would be seen as a great return. Whereas now he's gone, well, no, we'll go with three strikers. You know, don't need that much, and if they can get twenty to sixty goals between, and then obviously everyone else chips in, really. So whether that's something he will stick with, I think he will. It was his, his go-to one. He had a little spell, didn't he, when Salah was playing up front? Yeah, and in the number nine. It, yeah, it was a little, little bit different. And I think when we had a few if results, I think it was a game here against Bournemouth or Rome. I might be wrong. I think we drew at West Ham and Leicester and a few different things, and he just went back to Salah was back on the right, and it just, it just. Probably, it just feels better when those those front three players. He like just that. seems to engage defenders all over that back line, Salah, doesn't he? I mean, you know, everyone always talks about you talk about it yourself about the, the space that Firmino creates. And one of the things that you know, one of the players that obviously has had the biggest impact on Liverpool this season and, and since he's come into the club is Virgil Van Dijk. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, we've all seen the videos of you singing his chants at boss nights <laughs> and stuff, so we know that you're a pretty much a decent little fan of Virgil's and stuff, but. I, I mean, he's a leader who's not wearing the armband. Now, obviously, you wore the armband, but you weren't the club captain. I mean, is that something that you're born with, that you you believe that leaders will always come out on the pitch, whether they've got the armband on or not? Because I watch I watch Virgil from the ground, and, you know, we're not, we're not led by a director. We can watch what we want. So if Virgil stood in front of me and I'm in the cop, I'll just watch what he's doing for five, ten minutes. I won't even focus on the ball. And all you see him is constantly organising everyone all of the time. And it's like, you were the same. You were conducting your back line. Is that something that you grew into? or 
Did someone teach that? Did you learn that from somebody? No. I mean, that's... that's I had that as a kid. I, I don't know how you can play football without talking. And people always think you're telling other people what to do. That's probably only half of it. It's more yourself keeping yourself on your toes. Also, if someone else is in, a, in, the, in the right position, it means I do, I've got less work to do. If I'm having to cover someone all the time because they're out of position... That's a problem for me. So that's why I always thought about uh, talking. Some people lead by example. Stevie was that. He was that great a player. Everyone was in awe of him in some ways, the players. So what, if he did say something, it was everyone hung on his every word. I think Van Dyke's like that. Probably, I think Van Dyke's probably a mixture of, of me and Stevie, probably in the middle. He probably doesn't talk as much as me, maybe as aggressive as me. He probably talks a little bit more than Stevie. But like Stevie, he's that good a player and he's got that much of a presence. The players look in awe of him in some ways, and I, that that's a good thing. I'm in awe is maybe the wrong way. They've got that much respect for him, uh, really. And and also when you perform that well, it's hard to be a talker and, and arguing with people and pushing people all the time. You're not playing well yourself, and you're making mistakes. Mm. If you're a player who's that good, really, and very rarely makes a mistake as he doesn't, he's got the respect of everyone. So no matter what he says, people are going to switch on and listen to it and, and, and basically uh, do what he's asking. I think, you know, one of the stats that's come out in the Premier League, he never got dribbled past all season, did he, Virgil? And it's an incredible stat. I think it happened once in the Champions League. Mm-hmm. And I think, well, he runs away from players. He never engages players, does he? And that and that, and that probably goes a little way into why no one can ever get past him. Obviously, it was Tottenham at home for us when Sissoko went through, yeah, wasn't it? Yeah. And he was just running back and positioning himself. I remember you doing that in Istanbul in 2005. Was it Kakar who was over here? And did you have Crespo on you and Shevchenko behind you and you made that tackle on the edge of the six-yard line? But prior yeah, to that, mean. I think some players might have just run into the guy with the ball and you just shepherded off and just got into the right position. And again, is that something that, you know, 15 years ago, 20 years ago maybe, I don't, I didn't notice defenders doing as much as that? Modern football, is that something that Virgil will have grown up with himself and, and why he's so good at it? Yeah, I mean, the big thing is his pace, where he doesn't have to engage with people. I think he's basically saying, go on, try and knock a pass me and run, and no one is willing to do that. So in some ways, people aren't prepared to dribble past them, really, because I don't think they feel they've got the pace to go past them. It's very difficult to go past someone in a small area, really. When we talk about dribbling, yeah, you can see maybe Hazard now and again goes flying through people. A lot of the time you see people go past someone, a lot of it's pace, really, or they run in behind, they knock it and they run. You see Salah, yeah. he'll knock and he'll go, Mane is the same. Really, but there was one against Wolves, wasn't it, this season where Traore come on, he's probably one of the quickest oh, yeah, players yeah. in the league, and he just and you just you just think, wow. And in some ways, I don't think we've ever seen Virgil Van Dijk sprint as fast as he can, really, because he's never had to. He looks angry whenever he has to get near yeah, a sprint. Yeah, I mean, sometimes it looks it looks that easy. Obviously, a sign of a of a great player, which, which is what he is. Uh, but I wouldn't be expecting too many people to to, to dribble past him in the future. Anyway. I don't think it was a freak this season. And he's, as you say, he backs off a lot, but he's got that much pace. It's a case of go on back. His, you know, you're going to back yourself to go past me, and no one really wants to run at him because they haven't confidence they'll actually go past him. You said there, you know, the, the, he had that sort of aura about him because the players respect him. Does that work the other way? The the players that you've come up against that know Virgil Van Dijk's player of the year this season are they then is that in their heads when they're running at him I think so yeah I think it's, it's in the head I think if you're playing against Liverpool and this is not a criticism of, of Matterport Trent if, if you were the manager or you put your team over the game you're thinking that's where we have to attack look all the other stay away from Van Dijk that, 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 I mean if, I, if Harry Kane plays or more I don't know who's going to play more or up front whoever it is Lorenzi you'd be saying stay away from him 
you know, really, that that that's what you would be yeah, talking about because he, he is that good and he dominates that many people or players that uh, you, you're basically going to get your attacking side to not pinpoint Liverpool's right, but if possible, that's where we want to work our ball to, get into these areas, can we make runs in behind Trent, different things like that. You do as much as you can to stay away from the left side. If you and, Vir- if you and Virgil van Dijk were playing in the same back line, who, who would be the leader of that back line? Me. Definitely. Yeah. I think so too. To be fair. <laughs> I'm not going to sit there and argue with you. No, it's not. I, listen, Virgil van Dijk's a better player than me. There's no doubt about that, but I've never played any level of football uh, from the age of five to <coughs> 35 where anyone else has told me what to do. I've always been the one who told someone else what to do, and I don't think that would change <laughs> uh, for Virgil van Dijk because, uh, no, I've, I've always been the one who was the organiser in a game. Let's talk a little bit about um, the European games that you've played in, particularly 2001. Uh, I think, you know, an incredible treble winning season, five trophies actually in 2001, I suppose, more than the, more than the, three, domestic, uh, the three cups. Um you played left back in that game in in that season, didn't you? Two thousand and one, and it's obviously it wasn't a position maybe that well, I don't know. I won't speak for you that probably you didn't think was your best position, um, but you did that job for the team. Did you ever get to a point where you thought, "Am I going to get a home in this side?" Where you felt really truly comfortable? Well, to be honest, uh, I, I played. I went to left back. I'd played right back before. I went to left back. The first game was away at Newcastle, and. The reason was I'd pl- people always associate me playing that season as, as being, you know, he got his game at left back, which is right in the main. But I was actually in the team at right back before I went to left back. It was Marcus Babel was desperate to play centre back. Henshaw had made a few mistakes. Henshaw went up the team. Babel went to centre back. I went right back, and I think it was Ziger at left back, and he he had a bit of a stinker to start with, so. Uh, he wasn't playing well. I think there was basically at Newcastle game, there was a few injuries. So me and Stevie Gerrard basically said before the game, me or you were going to play left back. One of us was going to play it. And it was me. We got beat in the game. We played quite well. We were a bit unlucky. Kept me placed the next team. And then we had a run. It was a clean sheet. I might have made Charlton their own 3 0, I think. But then we had a little run of clean sheets. And Julia loved clean sheets, really. I mean, Julia loved a solid back four even if you look at it it was four centre-backs playing in a back four in 2001 Babel was the same even though he was more adventurous than me but it was hard to be it was hard to be more adventurous on the left because you're on your left, your left foot so it was a case of actually being a, a supporter really always behind the ball playing into midfield trying to play into the front players feet being close to Sammy because Sammy didn't have great pace Sammy needed someone close to him really not to be exposed and uh, at that stage to be honest I didn't think too much of I want to play my best position type of thing. It was more a case of I just want to play for Liverpool every week. And if I don't play in this position at this moment, I'm not good enough to play centre back in this team. Sammy appeared and Henshaw better than me now. I was only 22. They were in the prime of their careers, probably even Babel, really. So it wasn't a case of me being upset that I wasn't playing centre back. I was just delighted I was in the team. What about actually? I want to I want to ask you about Marcus Babel. I think he's managing over in Australia now, isn't he? <laughs> yeah, yeah, and. Um, Obviously, you know, yeah, you know, obviously, circumstances said that he had to end his career early and stuff mm-hmm. like that. But a guy who'd been everywhere with Bayern Munich, I mean, he must have been someone that you you could have looked up to. I mean, he was a fantastic player, one that you know, whenever the best right backs for Liverpool Premier League era come up, I always think of him almost first and foremost. I mean, mm-hmm. did you enjoy playing with Marcus? Yeah, I, I think I loved about Marcus Babel was, was he was a proper GM, you know, that mentality of like confidence. 
almost touch of arrogance, really. He was a great player, but when you think of his strengths, he wasn't brilliant with the ball. He wasn't lightning quick. Really, he was a, he was a good size. He almost he was more of a, a centre back, really. But he played right back for us. Obviously, got that great goal at Goodison, and he, he scored five or six goals that season. He was important. He was good in the box. You know, set pieces. Scored UEFA Cup final, I think. But it was more the mentality rather than his ability. I'd say Finnan probably had better ability in some ways than the Marcus Babbel. You know, better. Like... Probably footballer, nicer on the eye. But I probably still want Marcus Babbel in my team, really, just for that that, that winning mentality. Like, that 2001 team, it wasn't a great team on the eye to watch. We, we loved watching it because we, we got a lot of goals, we won a lot of games, we won obviously the trophies. But it was a team of men. Really big, powerful, strong people, and the total op- total opposite of what had come before, which was uh, Roy Evans's team, which was much better footballing team, technically fantastic, but couldn't get over the line in a big game because they lacked physical and mental strength. Whereas we probably lacked a little bit of quality. We had to die, I think, with Lippmann in that season. Smicer found it difficult at times, really, that season, uh, and that's probably what m- not made us a great all-time great team Liverpool team or maybe winning the league but what we had was that as I said that physical mental strength and that got us over the line so many games that season What did you learn from that the, the, you know your European appearances 2001 winning that European trophy that you could take into the two, 2005 final I mean there was am I right in saying five members of the squad the match day squad certainly that were involved there'd be you there'd be Stevie Diddy Vladdy Probably one more. Sammy. Sammy, of course, yeah. I mean, having those guys who've been there and done that before, going into a massive game in the Champions League final, did that help you guys going through that experience? Yeah, I think so, because it was uh, we won the UEFA Cup, and it was a proper UEFA Cup. It wasn't the Europa League that you see now. No disrespect to it, but, you know, it was almost like a Champions League run, 2001. You take away the final, because we played Alaves, it gets sort of a bit dismissed. Roma and all kinds on the way there, wasn't Roma, there? Roma, who won Serie A that new season. Barcelona in the semi-final. We played Porto. That's a Champions League game. Olympiacos, we played in the knockout as well. That's, that's a Champions League team. They're there or thereabouts every year. It was the knockout. There was no group stage, really. So it was a lot of experience from that that we could take forward, really. And that's the, the, the big difference, I think. I always say with, with Julier and Benitez, I think when Gerard Julier came in, the team he was taking over and trying to mould it differently, they didn't have many winners in the team because they hadn't won anything, basically. I think, now, I think whenever a new manager comes in, it means the team before the squad isn't fantastic. That's mm. why he changed the manager. And it was exactly the same with, with, with Rafa. You know, Julier's team had sort of just fizzled out. It was time for a change. But the thing that Rafa did inherit was players who'd won big trophies and been to big, big games and... Even like in, in the Premier League, we dominated Everton under Julier. We won a lot of games against Manchester United, the European experience. So I think that certainly helped that we had players who'd, who'd been there, done it before in, in big moments. And, and, you know, going into that final, what was it like being a scouser walking out in the European Cup final for Liverpool? Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 
36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Pride, really? You know, it's, there's not too many you can say because you don't get to too many European Cup finals, something you do every year, so... You know, for me to be to go on out, I wouldn't say that was at the forefront of my mind from you know being being the local lad. It was more of us as a team, you know, getting Liverpool back really where it belongs. You know, twenty years since the last European Cup final, been a long time, and really putting Liverpool back on the map in Europe. Really, I think that's something that we were proud of with UEFA Cup win in two thousand and one, and then getting the Super Cup. But I think the Champions League is then a level up. Really, didn't ever believe I was good enough to play in a game of that magnitude. I've, I've Watch football. Do you obviously. now? <laughs> you well, must yeah. have watched it back a thousand times. Yeah. Well, listen, that was the start, if you like. So, 2005 was the start, 2009 was the end, in some ways, when Rafa's end. So, we were, after that game, you think, yeah, I belong here. So, we obviously got to another final, another semi, another quarter. So, you you, you think, yeah, I am good enough to play at this level and I'm, I'm, I can put myself up against other defenders. I mean, as I said before about the team now and the best four to six teams in Europe. That's what we were under Rafa. Mm. We always felt we could get to the quarters, minimum semis, should get there. And and maybe this was the, this team's going to do now every year. You're thinking, yeah, we'll get to the semis. So so I could put myself up with those defenders. But before that, you couldn't because, you, you know, you'd never done it before. So what, one of the things that, you know, I, I watch the highlights of Istanbul fairly regularly. Sometimes I'm drunk and tweeting about it um, and, and in the evening and stuff. But one of the things that I always seem to remember is, you know, Crespo's two goals you're this far away on both of them, aren't you? And I think the one that comes across the six-yard line, you sort of turn around, and I feel for you every time I watch it as you're turning around because I just know there's probably heartbreak written all over your face. And then the other one, it's Kaka's through ball, isn't it? Probably mm. one of the best balls you've ever seen. And you look at it, you're so close again. You're a full stretch. What was going through your head during those two moments? Basically, you're not good enough to play at this level. You know, talk about how close you are, but those are the fine margins, aren't they? I mean, if if that would have gone badly wrong, you'd look at you come away from I'm nowhere near this level. Really, if you look at that first half performance, none of us were nowhere near that level. Uh, in some ways, winning the Champions League, I'm saying that that made me believe I was at that level. It was probably the years later we were consistently getting there because I think after 2005, yes, unbelievable, we won it. But we were all thinking, you know, something like that. Is this a freak? Would this happen again? It was. I think the real great job. Rafa did it was not so much in winning the Champions League that year. It was there was a little bit of luck involved. There was Anfield involved. Things went for us. It was just this great journey, but it wasn't a great team. 
I think what Rafa did late, later on after, even though we never won the Champions League again, he produced a proper top Champions League team. Okay, and that still shows how difficult it is to win. You know, we were a much better team in 07, 08, 09, but obviously we didn't get across across the line. But, you know, those moments in the first half, of course, you know, you're coming off at half-time and you're just <laughs> embar- embarrassed, but almost feeling that finally we've been shown what we are in some ways. We finished fifth in the Premier League that year. We, we, we played Juventus, we were much better than us, Chelsea much better than us, and we'd found a way to get through. And I think it was more coming off at half-time, the realisation that basically found out what our true colours were at this level. And then second half, we did find out what your true colours were at that level, didn't we? I mean, you know, the, the third goal, no one ever talks about this. don't know what you're doing bombing up the pitch, mate, but you're flying up the pitch. You, you hit the ball to Barros's feet, don't you? Mm. What were you doing there? Well, we changed the system. We'd gone to three at the back, which means, you know, your wide centre-back can actually step in a bit. There's no doubt you're getting carried away with the goals, the atmosphere, and you just, you, you, there's no thinking, you're just playing. And... Uh, yeah, I mean, you just, you just shake it in. I think Milan Barros does not get anywhere near enough credit for his role in goal two and goal three. His role two, in, the one where he avoids it. He gets out the way of it. And it smashes it to the shot, and it, it, go, it moves a little bit. And more often than not, you see striking, he's always trying to get a touch on something, he's need to you know, deflect yeah, it. Yeah. But it's not by his leg, it's actually his midriff. And you know how hard that is? Sometimes you're stuck, aren't you? You're not quite sure how to get your, your midriff out the way. And he actually just gets out the way, just, just goes past and probably... In some ways, may have a little to do with you know the sight of of the goalkeeper. So he does great there, and actually his touch, you know, the one I I, I step in, you pass in. I'm actually going for the next one myself. I think I I, I carry on running, but Steve's there. But his touch, because it's Barros, we just think he was like you know quick, brain dead at the time, maybe centre forward running. But if that would have been a touch by, I'm just trying to think that type of player or a Coutinho, if you like, or a, a Litmanen. It was, it was around in 2001, we were saying, wow, because you associate them with that type of touch to set something up, but it's touch around the corner, it was just perfect for Stevie, wasn't it, to go and yeah. dive and get a penalty? Oh, <laughs> well, you, were, you, uh, you had your arms in the air for a pen before Stevie goes down. Yeah. You were the first person claiming My a penalty there. My job always bully referees, you know that. <laughs> Absolutely superb. Um, okay, on, on to Trent Alexander-Arnold, you know, He's going to two back-to-back European Cup fans, much like the rest of the squad. You know, we talked a little bit about the the pressures that you feel as a scouser. Is it internal or external pressures that you think may be getting to him, if there are any getting to him? He doesn't. He doesn't play like anything gets to him. Sometimes I watch him play, I think he's too cool. You know, sometimes I see him jogging back and thinking sprint. <laughs> Something could happen here at the back post, but he's almost like Stevie. In the way he plays, the way he passes from right back. Stevie played a lot at right back in his early days, and he does he just pass like that from him. He's pinging sixty yard balls from inside the pitch to do that. No, he doesn't look like someone who panics in a game. Really, outside pressures. I don't listen. I I'm actually doing a documentary with Trent at the moment. Uh, hopefully, fingers crossed that'll be out after you know the final. And it'll, you know, it'll go well for everyone. Uh, but he's a, a cool, calm character. He's different to me. I was probably a lot more intense and you know aggressive on the pitch. He's completely different. Really, you know, I, I can see that myself. You know, dealing with him. But uh, he does he have did. that family that goes to the games and stuff with him, and you know that close knit sort of group of friends. So, do you think there's any he's trying to perform for them and you know all the people watching? Just like you obviously had your dad going to every single game mm-hmm. in your career and whatever. Do you think that that will affect him? 
No, I don't, I don't think so. I mean, he's quite pally, you know, really close with his brother who, who helps him a lot. Really, I know his mum from uh, you know the days when my son was at the academy, and you know, Trent, I didn't know who Trent was, but you knew his mum was. She was there every every night watching the training, so she's a big influence on him as well. But he'd be like any any lad. He'd have his mates from school. I don't think he goes out too much. I don't think in the middle of town, pissed like I was at times when I was younger, or Stevie, or different things like that. But but no, he's, he's got his head screwed on. Uh, as as a lot of young English players have now, they get a lot of criticism. But I think they are, you know, a really good group of people. You see that with the England squad. But and there's also talk of him going to midfield. I don't see that. I think he'd be not wasted going into midfield. I think he gets so much from a fullback. I think he, he could and should go on to be the best full. He should. I think he should be disappointed if he doesn't become the best right back in the world. Really, uh, but going into midfield. Yes, I think he can do that, no problem. But the way he's playing a fullback now, I wouldn't even be thinking about moving him. I look at it and I think, you know, Trent's there, isn't he? And you've, you've probably got Henderson something in front of him. When he bombs on, yeah, that, that'll be the role that he'd play, probably the eight, would you say? Yeah. Why does he want to be back there? Yeah. He's just got 16 assists from right back. Sure, exactly. he's going to have more fun there. I mean, he finds himself so much there. I mean, Jürgen Klopp was really good when he came on Monday night. We saw Milner at the time playing a fullback. And he was. The way the fullback positions evolved is that they're like a midfield player, really. And that's what he was sort of talking to us when I said to Milner, you're not a full, but you're a midfielder. You're going to receive the ball there, you're going to receive the ball there, you're going to receive the ball there. And more often than not, Liverpool are in possession of the ball. So I think he's trying to be so young, he's so quick, just running up and down that line, whipping crosses in. I think at times there he could get bogged down with so many players there at different I don't think he'd find a problem. But at times you see the space there he can gallop into, he has that little bit of time to put a, you know, a cross in, probably less time than what he'd have, or he'd have less time, I think, in the middle of the pitch. So... Where he's playing at this moment, I, I'd leave him. In. I'd have no desire or thought about moving him. Obviously, you know, you mentioned it before. Disappointment in two thousand and seven. You picked yourselves back up, though. And I think one of the things as a Liverpool fan personally, you know, I, I wondered how Liverpool, the squad this season, would react to the the manner in which they lost the Champions League final last season. We didn't seem to see anything like that. I mean, you've had experiences where you have picked yourselves up. Obviously, two thousand eight, two thousand nine was a good season. But then you've had 2009, 2010 that probably you tailed off a little bit. And I think I've I think probably read you've said this on record. It was those first few games of the season you kind of knew that mm. you weren't going to challenge for the title because you'd drawn or lost as many games as the previous year. How, how do you mentally prepare yourself through a summer to go on to the next one? Well, it's difficult, really. I mean, that summer was... We'd lost Alonso, had me that summer, and there was, there was basically a... A mess up with who come in, and I don't mean in terms of the player. You know, you can bring up Aquilani coming, but he's actually injured. So, in some ways, a little bit like this Liverpool team now. Do you think is that the maximum we can do? Ninety-seven points. Eight. We got eighty-six. I mean, we we beat United home and away. We beat Chelsea home and away. I think we got four points out of six against Everton. I think the Arsenal. I think we drew twice against Arsenal, but. You're thinking, can you go towards? Can you win six points out of six against United, six against Chelsea, and we lost two out of the first three, really. And I think the belief went that we could actually challenge for the league. It wasn't about challenging for the league. I think when you go so close to the league, the next year is about winning the league, mm. really. And that's what I think the thoughts will be for this Liverpool team. You go so close, you don't want to go back to being third or fourth. You actually, the next step is to go to to number one. And it wasn't so much in then the pre-season games didn't go well. And I just think everyone was just thinking, oh, you know. Not, and people talk about Alonso going. Alonso 
Alonso was there for four or five years. He was brilliant in his first season and brilliant in his last season. In between, he was okay. But it was that thought of... So when he first come, everyone loves him. So it's hard to then lose that feeling of a player. You know, Rafa brought Mascherano in, Sissoko come in. Xavi Alonso didn't actually start the Champions League semi-final at home to Chelsea in 2007. He was, he was on the bench, he was dropped. So that shows you where he was at that time. It's just that he had such a great season. The last one, we lose him, don't replace him. And probably that team had done its maximum the year before. So if you look at that team, then it, we didn't buy anyone to make the team stronger. Mm. Just trying to think. Glenn Johnson coming for Arbelow, that was just, it wasn't, I don't think, making it stronger. It was, you know, it, it, it is what it uh, was, what it was, really. And we were weaker in midfield. And then losing those first two games early on, I don't think the belief was there that we could go on and you know, win the league. Liverpool take an early loss next season. Do you think there's a there's a chance that that type of thing happens again? Or do you not think Klopp will let that type of thing happen? No, I, no, I don't think so. And I, listen, I don't necessarily think it was just that. That was it. Because I'm sure at the end of September or early October, we might have been top of the league. I'm sure after we beat Hull at home, I think we, we give Hull a good beating. I think... Or someone at home, and we were near the top of the league. So even though I'm talking about those two defeats, we were still there or thereabouts. But I, I just think we we never improved the team really, and the other sides were still improving. I mean, it was a massive thing for us to finish above Chelsea, even though we finished second. It's a big thing to, that that was a top team, you know, that Chelsea side at that time as well. So I, I think we just done our maximum, and that's the one worry I think for this Liverpool team. You look at it, and you think. Is this the maximum? Can it go even further? That's what we've all just got to wait and see, uh, really. I, I do think it would be difficult to get 97 points this season. I must be totally honest with that. If someone said to me now Liverpool would get 87 or touch 90 points, I'd bite your hand off for that right now. Now, I still might know that might not win the league, but that is a points total of consistency where you're a top side and it's just that there's a, a freaky team who are so good you only played them twice mm. I, I think the big thing for us next season if you're going for the league is you've got to treat the Man City league games like cup finals yeah. because people say why didn't Liverpool win the league they lost it by a point Liverpool for me have not won the league because they only took one point off Man City that's your rival and that's the reason why they've won it because they took four points off us yeah I mean listen it, it makes perfect sense doesn't it you know we, we obviously draw with them probably should have lost that game I think the penalty towards we were the unfortunate end. the way the way game come we've had a really tough run of games and I think we played someone big in midweek in the Champions League we had a run of we had like PSG, che- yeah we had Chelsea in the Carlin Cup we had Chelsea away in the league we had PSG we had and the City games before the international break and I think it was just a relief to get to the international break not losing that game so I think everyone come out of it happy with the draw you know you don't know what's going to go on down the season but I think if the game's fall right and we can be I think they've got to be treated like cup finals Another player I wanted to, to get your opinion on I think he's, he split the fan base since 2012 I think it was Jordan came in now um, captain of the football club um, seems to have turned it around for the first time really and actually united everybody in his performances you know, he's playing a different role there I spoke to him a few years ago and he was fantastic with me. Like, you know, spoke to him at length about what type of a captain he wanted to be. And I think he named you and Stephen Gerrard as players that he he wanted to take little bits and pieces from and become his own man. I think you can see he is a real captain. The game when I knew it more than any other was Roma away. You know, we stood there last season and he's there organising the Sean Cox banner to come in. And I thought to myself, right, I'm getting goosebumps talking about it. That's my captain down there. 
and he's uniting all the fans behind something mm. that we all feel very strongly about. I mean, what do you make of his performance and why do you think he's improved so much in this new role? Well, uh, I think it's always been his best role. I think when he'd come, his game was all about energy and running and not so much even with the ball, pressing off the ball. I think his performances in the year we almost won the league under Brendan Rodgers were brilliant. He was amazing. And the work he did for the front three that that season, I think is what he's doing now, really. I think the holding role, no one ever saw him in that role. And I think he's done a lot better in that role than people give him credit for. It's just that we don't associate him with that role. You know, Jordan Henderson, not holding midfield player, that was always the thought. And I think Klopp put him there and I think he felt like his, you know, his legs had been chopped off in some ways, really. And I think, I think this talk of Jordan going to see the manager, I think there was two things about it. One, maybe he wanted to play that role. And number two, Fabinho would come in. And I think Fabinho's been a monster in the second half of the season. I think, I think he's the best player in the Premier League in that position. I really do believe that. So I think there was a bit of that in Jordan's head. Shit, where am I going to get my game? Yeah. And... Uh, but also, let's be honest about it, our attacking midfield players are still areas where we, we love them, we like them, we, we tell them, but we don't think we've got a a wow player in there. So probably Jordan looked at that and thought, well, I can bring a little bit more than maybe players playing in that position. I think he's been proven right in some ways, so there's no question about him not playing the Champions League final. There's no doubt he'll be, he'll be, he'll be well in that team. But I don't think we should forget the the impact he had certainly on the uh, the Brendan Rodgers team going for the title. And we talk about obviously what happened that day against Chelsea, but no Jordan Henderson in that team, and, and no Jordan Henderson in well, I think it was the last three games yeah. in the season, the Crystal Palace game. That was a massive blow. That I think going for the title. I um, mean, you, you you mentioned him in one of the plays. Obviously, you played this position for being you know, um, a midfielder. Um, what what is it that stands him apart? Because I've heard people say you know he's great at attack on the ball directly but to begin with the first part of the season maybe he can't cover sideline to sideline something mm. like that um, do you think that's why we went to that sort of two man midfield when he was getting in and, and how has he got himself to the position where you now think he's the best defensive midfielder in the league I think his passing is very underrated I think his passing is very very good uh, and I'm quick just, as well One, yeah, two and I'm not talking about just A to B passing I think he played the pass for Mane didn't he against United yeah. Uh, scored the goal there was a pass for Salah in the Goodison derby that put Salah through in the first half just a one touch one over the top uh, so he's not someone who like the you know, the, the Alonso Gerrard pass of like 60 yard ping he passes forward as well which I like uh, so I like his passing his reading of the game is fantastic he's aggressive he's got those long legs he reminds me a little bit Haman like when Haman didn't have great pace but this this telescopic leg would just come from nowhere and hook the ball back off someone, really. And I wouldn't say I thought he was going to be as good as he, I'm seeing now, but I didn't get the criticism at the start of the season. I watched him in a game against Chelsea in the Carlin Cup, mm-hmm. and he was getting a little bit of criticism because Chelsea dominated us in the first half. Fabregas was running the game. But Milner was alongside. It was a difficult game for Milner, so it wasn't just Fabinho. And there was I, I, I saw signs in the first half of the season where I thought, I like what I see, his passing. I liked his passing, really. He found Arsenal way difficult, uh, the pace of the game, but you know, you're know, new to the Premier League, these things happen, it was a fast game end-to-end. Probably Arsenal's best performance, I think probably, well, certainly one of them over the season. But they, I wasn't too disheartened. They've gone about 19 unbeaten at that point, haven't yeah, they? Yeah, yeah, so I wasn't too disheartened with what I'd saw, certainly in the first uh, few months of the season. And 
And as I said, even a few months ago, I was thinking, I think there's a player, a real player here. So Barcelona, 4-0, home, best best Anfield night ever. Did you see Trent's corner? No, I thought the goal was offside. Or, and you can't be offside from a corner. What I mean is I, th- I thought something wasn't right. Because everyone was just, I- I'd turned away. You look back, everyone stood still. The goal goes in. And I think even the crowd didn't celebrate straight away. I think everyone was in the same no boat. Yeah, everyone was a bit like, what's happened? I saw Rigi kicking it. And I didn't. I'd kind of forgotten. Yeah. I'd kind of forgotten there was a corner. To be honest yeah, with you, I was. Yeah. I was chatting to me mate there, and then I turn around and Origi kicks the ball, and then there's pockets of people celebrating. But most people were like, "What the fuck's just happened?" Yeah, it was mental. Yeah, it was. It was. It was. It was a bit like VAR. You're waiting for VAR, weren't you? are waiting for something to tell you that the goal wasn't right, really. But we actually on the documentary we're doing with Trent, we we had a bit where we've walked, the day after the Barcelona game, we walked around the pitch. And we didn't reenact the, the corner, but didn't have a ball. But we sort of we weren't allowed on the pitch, basically. And uh, did something go on your Instagram about this? Maybe an Instagram story or something. I've seen someone doing something with sand. Wasn't there any? No, didn't one of the uh, stewards pretend to do something? Oh, like, is that what it was? Yeah. yeah, I think so. I think I've saw that. But uh, no, so we spoke about the corner and different things. And he, what he said was, Shakiri was actually going to come over and take it, like he had done at Newcastle. You know, yeah, you can get the goal from that and one, don't basically, we? they're out to swap over and he just sees him free and just tries it. But it's, also what I said to him, it's, it's the, the vision to see it, the quality to you know deliver it, but also the uh, the balls to do because it's 3-0, you've got a corner at the cop end, get Big Verge up, get everyone, let's put it in the box. If he messes that up, everyone's going to go, what the fuck are you doing? You wait till everyone's in the box. So to be brave enough when you know the senior senior player the new Shaqiri's coming over, he's going to whip it in. You know, Barcelona can't defend set-piece, they're not a big team, let's make sure we get in the box on the keeper. If he'd have messed that up, you can imagine the groan Dogs from the cross. Oh, you know, what? what's he doing? So it was very brave also, and I said, thankfully it worked out, and, and one of the one of the number of, you know, major moments in that game we remember. I mean, 17 years at Liverpool, I think it was, you know, in the first team for you, Jamie, and, you know, is there another moment that's kind of like that I mean Gary McAllister against Everton maybe mm. that's a quick thinking sort of thing there's not many down the years no no and Gary McAllister was 35 wasn't he at that yeah, time yeah 20 year old kids doing it in front of the cop as you say Barcelona I mean two highlights of the season but what an incredible performance that day was and it looked to me like Messi and Suarez knew the game was up at 2-0 mm. and they, they, they looked like they knew it was over before it is just there's just something about Anfield on those nights isn't there it is, and you know we keep saying it. Whether people believe us, whether people you know feel we romanticise it, maybe too much. But you know the proof's there. Klopp hasn't lost a you know a knockout game since he's come to the club. A two-legged game. Now that's not because Jurgen Klopp is an absolute European you know know-it-all legend. We know he's a top manager, but it's the Anfield factor. And that's why I always think as well, we've had great managers. So Benitez won the Champions League, Klopp's been to a final, he's in another final. But they've had other great teams. So Benitez had Valencia, Klopp's had Dortmund. So Dortmund got to a final, they never got to two. Valencia never got to a final under Benitez. So I think they well, they should appreciate what Anfield brings to them, you know, the great managers, but without Anfield, you know, you know, you're certainly not getting there as often, put it that way. I mean, three European finals on the bounce 
under Jurgen Klopp. I mean, it's unbelievable achievement. It's crackers, isn't it? Absolutely crackers. And this season as well, putting to bed the, you know, the, the Liverpool had an easy run last season. I mean, you know, you're talking Sp- Spanish champions, Serbian champions, French champions. It's just littered with teams. Mm-hmm. Bayern Munich away, Jesus Christ! I, yeah, I nearly yeah. forgot about Bayern Munich away. <laughs> Probably the best away game all season, certainly in Europe. Like unbelievable. And let's talk a little bit about the the final. I won't keep you too much longer, Jamie. Um, obviously, we've got Spurs now. I I don't know about you. I I, I really rate Pochettino as a manager. I think he's absolutely fantastic. Mm-hmm. I think it was very brave of him. Maybe it wasn't all his decision not to sign players in the summer. But I'm one of these play- people who believe that teams can get better. I think this Liverpool side will get better. Whether they get the points, probably with you, maybe they don't get 97 points. But Pochettino's side's improved and developed each year. He's had a young squad. It's going to be a tough game, isn't it? Yes, it will be a tough game. I'm a massive admirer of Pochettino. There's no doubt there's been a massive drop-off in 2019 for Spurs. I'm not sure why. Is it the fact he didn't buy players? They had so many players who'd gone to the World Cup? Because... Before that, they were obviously challenging with us and uh, and City for the league. Just be, you know, they were always sort of four or five points behind, but they, they wouldn't go away. And the record in 2019 is so poor away from home. You, you don't sort of recognise those results with with Tottenham. I I watched. I was at both semi-finals. I and Tottenham, and they didn't perform what you expect Tottenham. Uh, how how they play. I mean, unbelievable what, what's happened for them. Uh, getting there, what happened in the second half. But Ajax were a tasty team and they'll feel a little bit unlucky, really. And the one worry I do have about the finalists is Tottenham's name written on it. You know, what happened against Man City, what happened against Ajax. That is the one thing at the back of my mind. Because I do feel Liverpool are the better team. And I think even Tottenham fans would say that. We've saw that this season. You know, the points difference. We all played them twice. Uh so I do believe Liverpool will win, and I do believe Liverpool will have to play really well to win. But I do, you just have that feeling sometimes, maybe like us in 2005, Chelsea when they went to Bayern Munich's ground and won on, they they had a sort of a, a freaky win against Barcelona in the semi, they ended up winning on penalties in, in Munich's ground. Sometimes a team's name's on it, and that is the one worry I have with facing Tottenham. Well, how do you think the team will line up, Jamie, against Tottenham? I think, you know... 4-3-3 three, three both times we've played them but I think they've played four at the back against us and three at the back well to be honest I, I don't think it's it's too difficult to work out Liverpool's team I think the one decision is this whether that's James Milner or Genie Wijnaldum I think it'd be Wijnaldum I think Wijnaldum probably over the course of the season has probably been our most impressive midfield player you, you know Fabinho's had a great second half of the season so has Henderson Milner's been in and out Kite has shown glimpses obviously we know he's out but from probably start to finish Wijnaldum's probably been our best midfielders and I think on the back of scoring two against Barcelona I think it would be would be a little bit harsh maybe to to leave him out so I don't think there's too much really to speak about there I think with the Tottenham team that is a, a, I'm going to say a problem I think it is it's not easy for the manager especially if Kane's back do you leave Mora out who scored a, you know, a hat-trick if you don't leave Mora out you've got Deli Ali and Eriksen and Kane how do you fit four of them in and Son and Son of course yeah so I think Kane will be on the bench and I think he'll go with what he's got really but that's still four attacking players you know so how do you fit them all in I think ideally Pochettino would want to play three at the back Against us, because I just, I just feel he'd want. I'm not quite sure he'd trust us full backs. Mm-hmm. 
against our two wide players and, and he'd feel like he needed a little bit more help and I think with the extra centre back maybe you get that extra man can just cover or fills a space there's less you know Mane could run in you know there's a defender waiting for him if Mane or Salah makes those inside runs like they do but Liverpool dominated so much from full back positions when he, he played like that he changed at Anfield and caused us problems when he went to a back four but sometimes when you're changing a game and the game's already started it just creates a different flow. I don't think that necessarily means back four is the way to go against Liverpool. But the problem you have sometimes as a manager is, is players may have more belief playing a back four because of what happened at Anfield. They might remember, we, we couldn't do nothing in the first half. You know, we, their full-backs come forward. When actually I think that probably would be the best way for them to go. But as a manager, you might think that's the best way to go. But we players may not have the belief because of, of what happened at Anfield. So I'm really interested to see what team he picks. I don't think it's easy for him because you, you name four or five attacking players who you can't believe would not play. But then how, how do you have that sort of solidity behind that to sort of stop Liverpool attacking and Liverpool's front three, uh, really? But that, that is a conundrum for us. I think Liverpool's a bit easier. You can also, the flip side of that is it's difficult for Klopp to then think what will they do, whereas I think Pochettino knows what Liverpool will do. Really, uh, so it will be very interesting with what what Pochettino goes with and and, and how that affects Liverpool. Uh, can I ask you a question from from playing the game? You know, when you're expecting a side to play maybe a four at the back and they come out with a three at the back, is there a lot of credit that we probably don't give the players for reacting to that? Because Jurgen can't talk to them. You, you know, but Rafa couldn't tell you what's going on. You might get a few hand signals, but I'm sure from where you were, you couldn't understand what he was saying mm. or whatever. You have to react as a team together. And is it reacting like that that makes you a great side? Yeah, I think so. Adapting in different things. I mean, sometimes this night talk about formations all the time. We talk about you know tactics of different things. Uh, but sometimes in the games you've got to work it out yourself. The problem is there's not. Sometimes you don't have too many players in your team who can work out or see what, what's actually happening. Sometimes under Rafa, we would uh, actually play a different formation for the first five minutes and then change. Just to foot with the Reds? Yeah. So you'd say, well, OK, we're going to play three at the back today, but from the kickoff, make it look like a four. Just do a couple of minutes and then we'll change, really. Uh, and That's sometimes, hilarious. <laughs> well, sometimes people couldn't work that out, uh, really. Uh but it was always pretty obvious to me because whoever took the throw-ins, you know, you could make out who was who, who was where, who was doing what, really. But yeah, we do that sometimes now and again. Uh, yeah, sometimes you do have to adapt, and sometimes it can cause you problems. You see managers from the side making, you know, changes. But more often than not, no matter what Tottenham do, I think Liverpool should have the belief that if they play well or play anywhere near how they've played this season. It'll have to be something spectacular or something freaky for Tottenham to win the game. Um, one of the other things I think it was, it was apparent during the games with Tottenham this season is how much on in-swingers we were really p p pressing their keeper. I mean, it was Vorm in the first game, wasn't it? And Lloris in the second. Klopp's obviously seen something there. We did it against Tottenham. I remember us doing it against Leicester a couple of times, maybe a couple of times from the last 10 games, mm. but not every game. What is it that you think that they've seen there that they, they think, uh, well, let's it was, do it? It was the Wijnaldum goal, wasn't it, at Wembley? Now The one that just went over the line, was it? <clears throat> yeah, where they crowded around the keeper. I wouldn't do that. The reason being is, I think European referees, whether it's a foul or not, they just look at that and they think, that doesn't look normal, that doesn't look right. Seven or eight players around a goal, that's not right. You, you wouldn't see that in a European league, maybe not. 
And I think before, you know, they just give a foul mm. for nothing. That's nothing. And you just lose that that thing. I'm not listen, they might try it once or twice. But I'd, I'd be wary that a European referee just give you a foul against you there. You know, if you had a great position for a set piece or a corner. So it might be something that you maybe do on the first one, but I wouldn't be looking to do that constantly because so often it's uh, it feels like a different game when you're in Europe with the referees. And is there anything from watching both Tottenham, from watching Liverpool throughout the season, you know, with the resources that, that are available to you that you think this might be the way for Liverpool to go in this game? Uh, as I said, Liverpool... Yes, there's always slight changes that you, you probably don't know until the manager speaks about after the game. But I, I just look at not so much the setup really, and I just look at our players or our team and think how many of them will get in our team. Really, I do look at the full-backs. I don't think they've had the greatest of seasons. Certainly Trippier, and I, I, I just think the bigger not an advantage. I think if Mane and Salah play well, it could cause them. Real problems, but then you could say if you know if if Son or Mora play well, and you know they did cause us problems in in that in that second half around field. I think midfield, as always in any big game, but there's no doubt. I think centre midfield for both teams is the weaker position is the wrong word to use. I think both teams have top players in, in defence. I think we we've got better ones in you know Van Dijk, but I think Vertonghen's a good player. Alderweireld. I think midfield, if you're asking any, any Liverpoolian, they probably say, oh, we could do without, you know, we're a class midfielder. I'm sure Tottenham would say exactly the same. And they could have, I don't know, Sissoko, Wanyama, Dyer. I don't think, uh, you know, the young lad will be fit. Harry Winks. I think if we could sort of dominate that area, really, you know, not let Sissoko start making those powerful runs through, but and, and shown for what he is, really. He's not, when I say what he is, he's not, a real central midfield player. He sort of found himself in that position. He's done quite well. But really, you know, at this level, really bossed that game early on. And also, I think the start of the game is very important because <clears throat> Liverpool will be more confident than Tottenham. That's just normal. Tottenham never played in a European Cup final before. So they'll want to get confidence from the game. So if they start well, first 15, 20 minutes, you think, oh, I'm supposed to be here. Yeah, I can do this. I think if Liverpool start really well, in the first 15, 20 minutes, not necessarily get a goal, but sort of have that you know authority in the game, keeping the ball, winning the ball back quickly. I think that could affect Tottenham mentally, not because it's Liverpool, but because it's the Champions League final. And, and I suppose one of the things I'm thinking about when you're going into this is a huge gap between the end of the season and the Champions League final. A, a Liverpool, did Liverpool have an advantage because they've been through it before? It wasn't as long a gap last season, but... What do you do as a player? Are you just you must you mustn't be able to get out of your mind, surely, that you're playing in the Champions League final and how you deal with that is. Yeah, I mean, listen, I, I, it doesn't do you any harm. You've been there before, playing Champions League final before. I, I think the break helps Tottenham more than Liverpool, because as I said, the one worry is that Liverpool could lose a little bit of rhythm. You know, the form they've been in just being mm. like a machine, winning game after game after game. And when you go a long time without playing. Does that mean they'll be fresh and they'll still bring the same A game to the game? You don't know. Tottenham have not had a great 2019. Is that is that maybe to do with tiredness? You know, so many games. Will this break actually do them good? Exactly what they need. So when I said before, is Tottenham's name on it? That's a worry. This break's a little worry for me also because I that that is a more of an advantage to Tottenham than Liverpool. And um, I've got to get a prediction from you while you're here, Jamie. Uh, Liverpool two one. 
Brilliant. Uh, well, there you go. Red Ben TV special with the man, the legend, the one, the only, uh, Mr. Jamie Carragher. 737 fucking fantastic performances <laughs> for Liverpool Football Club. Thanks very much for coming in, mate. Really Thank appreciate you. it. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Coriant has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Coriant has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Coriant's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Coriant.com.